Good morning. Greeting in Jesus' name this morning. Well, this morning we're going to look at the next Beatitude. We've been following along. We've been studying the Beatitudes. We covered the first four. We're ready for the fifth one. We're looking at Christ's kingdom, Christ's kingdom principles, and how his kingdom functions. You gotta be poor in spirit. You gotta mourn. You gotta be meek. You gotta hunger and thirst after righteousness, and you'll be a part of that kingdom. And if you continue that and you keep that in your life, then the next four that we're going to look at will be the outworkings of that. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. What does it mean? Humanly speaking... Does it mean, well, if you're good enough or good to everybody else, everybody will be good to you? Is that what it means? Does it mean that God cannot be merciful to you unless you're merciful to others? Is that what it means? Does it mean if you don't forgive someone else's their wrong, that God ain't going to forgive, that God won't forgive you your wrong? Mercy is something that we don't hear a lot of today. It's there, but it's the news we're blasted with violence, injustice, willful stubbornness, bigotry, scams, prejust, intolerance. But when there is acts of mercy, they make the headline. Children, I got a story to tell you. This is an act of mercy that happened to me. This is a couple years ago, maybe two years. I was driving in my vehicle, and uh, we were on a mission, and this mission was known as a rapid response mission, and we were running a little late. Now you guys can all figure out what happened. Yes, about 4.30 in the morning. I got pulled over, and an uh, officer came up and inquired on what my uh, need was to hurry so bad. And uh, so I wasn't really paying attention, and I just kind of told him what's going on and wondered where I was going. I said, well, I'm going up to uh, help out with the volunteer organization with cleaning up after a tornado up at uh, oh, I can't think of it now Dwight help me out it's up north about three hours anyway um, so we had to leave good time and uh, so he inquired on this and he said uh, oh so you have a business up there and you're helping out with this and I said no this is just all volunteers these young guys with me are helping and we're just volunteering for the day we're going to go up and he said, yeah, I said, I did hear they had quite a deal up there. And he said, uh, this is uh, 
this is interesting, but he said, uh, I'll just give you a warning. And uh, he said, I, I was going to write you a ticket. And I knew I deserved it. I was going too fast. And it was right before a construction zone. But that story illustrates that that officer had the authority to give me what I deserve. Now, was it because I was being merciful and showing some kind of kindness to someone else that he was kind to me? Um, switching a little bit, I found it interesting in my studying this, this verse that in the ancient world, mercy was despised. The Romans had four cardinal virtues. They had wisdom, justice, temperance, and courage. But mercy was not part of that. Even the Greeks had a similar view. Astral wrote, The pity, it's a troublesome emotion. They didn't want to have a part of mercy. Turn to Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Even the Pharisees struggled with this. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and hansen and cumin, and have omitted the weighty matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. Jesus seems to be saying here that mercy is a little heavier. It has value in His kingdom. It's important. Man alone can look good by doing the right thing, but if he avoids mercy, then Jesus will call you a hypocrite. How different this is from the carnal mind. The carnal mind is driven by sight. It strives to find happiness and power, possession, and social standing because it thinks happiness resides in that. God reveals the ultimate sense of human well-being comes from possessing and cultivating spiritual qualities that derive from a relationship with Him. That's where it starts. We need to have a relationship with God. These characteristics can be elusive to the carnal man. And you can look and you can look and you won't find them. But it says we surrender ourselves to God, then we can get a hold of these characteristics. It comes down to a changed heart. So, what's the difference between mercy and grace? Grace is an unmerited favor to us from God, and though mercy and grace are somewhat similar, they are different. We obtain mercy from God when He does not punish us for our sins, as we deserve. And the grace is God giving to us 
or blessing us even when we do not deserve so mercy is the deliverance from God's judgment and grace is God extending his kindness to us mercy over judgment I don't really have points in my message here this morning I just got titles, little frame titles so this is the second one, the first one was mercy and grace this second one is mercy over judgment (coughs) turn to James chapter 2 Verse 13. For he shall have judgment without mercy, that has showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Mercy is very, mercy is a very prominent spiritual feature. As we surrender our lives to Christ and take on the nature of God, it will be very obvious, and it is easy to see. Proverbs 21, 13 is another one that gives us an example. Whosoever stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself, but shall not be heard. You see and you hear and you do nothing about it, that has great consequences. Well, thinking of mercy and judgment, my mind went to the parable Jesus told in Matthew chapter 18. I'm sure your minds probably have already went there. But I think I'll take the time to read Matthew chapter 18 verse 23. Through verse 35. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take an account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. But forasmuch as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, and the payment to be made. And a servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of the servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, and he laid hands on him, and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw that he was what he had done, they were very sorry, and came and told him unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, and said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desires me, shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? 
And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Very vivid illustration of extending mercy to someone that had a debt so huge, yet that person could not extend mercy and forgiveness to something that was so small. So what does mercy mean? Mercy in the English language somewhat limited to helping us understand the biblical use usage of mercy, but it does shed some light on it. Normally, mercy would have the meaning of showing compassion, forbearance, pity, sympathy, forgiveness, kindness, tenderheartedness, liberty, or refraining from harming or punishing offender. Very easy to know. I mean, that's how we'd understand it. But I think the biblical meaning goes a little bit deeper than that. We had a little lesson last Sunday on a Greek word, and I got one here for you this this Sunday. And the Greek word for mercy here in Matthew 5, it's elemon, E-L-E-E-M-O-N. And uh, so basically, my understanding here, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding of this is that Jesus probably would have spoken in Aramaic and the idea of mercy would have came from the Old Testament. And that word would have been, looks like cheesed, but it's with one E, cheesed. And uh, that has the meaning and carries the meaning of the ability to get right inside another person's skin until you can see things with their eyes and think things with their mind and feel things with their feelings. Sheds a little different light on it. A little bit deeper. You've heard the saying before, don't judge a man till you walk the mile in his shoes. gives a little deeper meaning to how we relate to one another. Another thing I found interesting is the word sympathy comes from two Greek words too. Uh, If you divide the word up, sim and then pathi, sim meaning together with, and pathi, which means to experience or to suffer. So together, I am going to take me and I'm going to put me with you and I'm going to suffer with you or whatever. I know this is easier said than done. It's easy to stand up here and talk about it, but to put it in a shoe leather and to walk in another person's shoes is the challenge. True mercy begins this is where we all begin. 
mercy that Jesus taught here is not cannot even be attained by a human being alone. Can't be derived. Turn to Matthew six fourteen. It's talking about forgiving here. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. This occurs not because we can carry a merit of mercy by being merciful or forgiving of others, but because we cannot receive the mercy and forgiveness of God unless we repent. So it all starts with a changed heart. We need to have our heart changed, then that spills out, and that mercy that God has extended to us then just flows right out. So how can we be merciful to others if we if we have not ex- witnessed or experienced the mercy that God has granted to us? So we need to recognize God's mercy as a key element to our motivating our expression of mercy. Is it possible that we have a welfare mentality? We go through life with little or no gratitude, thinking we deserve the handouts. Our thoughts are centered on ourselves. And as long as we're unthankful, we'll be insulated from other people, pains, because we are too focused on our own personal miseries. Next title I have is God is Our Model. God does not insulate himself from the misery of the world. Look at John chapter 3, verse 16. Very familiar verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God literally got in man's skin. Took it serious. Jesus came as a man... He saw with man's eyes. He felt with men's feelings. Thought the things that men think. God knew what life was like. It is because he came right inside of life. Jesus Christ knows our frame. He knows that we are dust. And he can extend mercy to us completely, understanding what we are going through. Turn to Psalms 103, thinking of God as our model. God gives strong evidence that His mercy has no end. Another familiar psalm. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefit. Who forgiveth all thy iniquities? Who healeth all thy diseases? Who redeemeth thy life from destruction? Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies? Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth may be renewed like the eagle? The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known His ways unto Moses, His acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger and plentiness in mercy. 
He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as the grass, and as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting, upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto the children's children. To such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them, the Lord hath prepared his throne in his heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength that do his commandments hearken unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye hosts, ye ministers of this that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. God is our model of mercy, and we are to reflect his mercy in our actions toward our fellow men. Exodus 20 Verse 4 is the second commandment of the Ten Commandments. And it also speaks of God's mercy. Exodus 20, verse 4 through verse 6. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images or any likenesses or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the waters under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them that serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generations of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. second commandment expresses his broad and generous giving of mercy another one um, thinking of the Old Testament in the, the ark on top of the ark was known as the mercy seat mercy seat symbolizing God's throne and where he judges men's conduct and its name reflects the basic nature of his judgment, which always rests on mercy. This does not mean that God has a soft head in judgment or careless overlooking men's sin, but God's judgment is always contains a perfect balance of justice and mercy. And as I thought on that, reflected on that, how how can God be merciful and judge and the judgment and be perfect um, thinking of it on a human being our judgment can be all over the map it's our frame of reference um, but God's judgment is always tended toward mercy and it will be perfect that's absolute Second Samuel 24 is an example of David Second Samuel chapter twenty four and 
verses 1 through 17. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he moved David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. For the king said to Job, the captain of the host, which was with him, Go now, thou, go now through all the tribes of Israel, from Dan even unto Beersheba, and number ye the people, that I may know the number of the people. And Job said unto the king, Now the Lord thy God added unto the people, how many, so, how many soever they be, a hundredfold, and that the eyes of my Lord and the king may see it. But why doth my Lord the king delight in this thing? Notwithstanding the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the host, and Joab and the captains of the host went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. And they passed over Jordan and pitched in Aaron, on the right side of the city that lieth in the midst of the river of Gad and toward Jazreel. Then they came to Gil Gilead and to the land of Tatihoshi, and they came to Danjanin and about to Zidon, and came to the, the stronghold of Tyro and all the cities of the Hivites and of the Canaanites, and they went out to the south of Judah, even to Beersheba. So when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of the nine months and twenty days. And Joab gave up the sum of the number of the people unto the king. And there were in Israel eight hundred thousand valiant men that drew the sword, and the men of Judah were five hundred thousand men. And David's heart smote him. After that he had numbered the people. And David said unto the Lord, I have sinned greatly in that I have done. And now I beseech thee, O Lord, take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. For when David was up in the morning, the word of the Lord came unto the prophet Gad, David Shear, saying, Go and say unto David, Thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things. Choose thee one of them, that I may do it unto thee. So Gad came to David and told him and said unto him, Shall seven years of famine come unto thee in thy land? Or wilt thou flee three months before thine enemies while they pursue thee? Or that there be three days pestilence in thy land now. Advise and see what answer I shall return to him that sent me. And David said unto Gad, I am in a great strait. Let us fall now into the hands of the Lord, for his mercies are great, and let us not fall into the hands of man. So the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel from the morning even unto the time appointed. And there died of the people from Dan, even unto Beersheba, seventy thousand men. And when the angel stretched out his hand upon Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord repented him of the evil and said to the angel that destroyed the people, It is enough. Stay now thine hand. And the angel of the Lord and the angel of the Lord was by the threshing place of Aranon of Jebusite. And David came unto the Lord when he saw the angel that smote the people and said, Lo, I have sinned and I have done wickedly but these sheep what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, be against me and against my father's house. Looking at this example here of David, numbering the people, doesn't it seem right for a king to have that privilege and honor to do that, to know how many people are in his kingdom? It's very clear that that wasn't God's plan. God wasn't pleased with it. Even... Uh, Joab countered it a little bit there in verse 3. But 
70,000 men had to die because of one man's sin. Now where was God's mercy? In my human mind, I think this should have been forgiven and forgotten. And nothing should have been done. But God's judgment balanced with mercy was dealt accordingly. You know, we won't totally maybe understand it, but one thing I do get, and that is God takes sin seriously. And sometimes innocent people have to suffer because of our choices and actions. And David realized that. And David realized his sin. And he threw himself into the court of God's mercy. Next title or next category Mercy toward the miserable. Luke 10, verse 30. Luke 10, verse 30 through 37. And Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem. This is a very familiar one, the Samaritan, fallen by the wayside. Went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves and was stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was, on the, was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by the other side. But a certain Samaritan... As he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound him up. His wounds poured, pouring in oil and wine, and sent him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he was departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now these... Three, thinkest thou, was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves. And he said, He that showeth mercy on him, then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Mercy toward the miserable. How frequently are we moved to make some sacrifice toward relieving another person's misery? Do we take effort? Do we make effort or do we just brush them off? Sometimes people just need to talk. Sometimes people need somebody to confide in. Someone to show a little love. What's your attitude toward the beggar on the street? What's your attitude toward the, the drunk that's laying on the park bench? These are questions I ask myself. You go on street work, you see this. What, you know, it's easy to operate in your little box and, you know, not do anything about it. But what kind of effort do you do? Mercy toward each other. came across a story I'm just going to read it that illustrates 
what having mercy toward one another. Some time ago, years ago, in a small town, there was a business. The man who owned the business had two identical twins. They were twin sons. And they were so close to one another that they dressed exactly the same. They were inseparable. And in fact, throughout all their life, they never married because they were so close to one another. When their father died, they they took over the family business. Their relationship was hailed around the whole area as a model of creative cooperation, not only in family life, but within business. One day, as they were in the family business within the shop, one of the brothers was busy, so much so that he neglected to put a $1 bill in the till. He left it sitting upon the counter. He went to serve another customer in the back of the shop, only to remember that he had left the $1 bill sitting on the counter. He rushed back to find that it was gone. He turned to his twin brother and asked him, Had he seen where it had went? Do you know where the whereabouts of the other $1 bill? The brother said, No, I don't know where it is. An hour later, the same brother asked his brother once more, Do you know where the dollar bill went? He asked him again and again and again, until his brother became defensive, and every time they tried to discuss the matter, there was conflict that grew worse and worse, which cultivated into vicious charges and countercharges from one to the other. The outcome was the relationship was dissolved, the partnership was split up, there was an installation of a partition down the middle of the shop, and the two began competing one with another. This continued for 20 years. Within the town, it was a well-known fact that they had fallen out. But one day, there was a car that drove up to the front of the business, and a man walked into one of the brothers' shops. It was a fancy car. He was in a fancy suit. He was wearing, he was well-groomed. And he stood at the counter and said, I have a score to settle with you, the man said. Well, what score have you settled with me? As far as I know, I I haven't a score to settle with anyone. The man began to tell a story of how there was a day when he was poor. There was a day when he was weak. There was a day when he was cast down. He had no home to live in. Nowhere to lay his head, no money. He was walking down the alley, down the side of their shop, and he saw upon the counter a dollar bill. Temptation got the best of him, and he ran swiftly, took it from the countertop, and off he went. But he said since that event, he had been brought up in a Christian home by his mother. He knew what was right and wrong, and throughout his whole life, his conscience was troubling him that one dollar bill had been stolen. So he said, I'm here. I'm here to settle the score. I'm here to pay any damages that I owe. That brother stood there weeping and crying for 20 years of bitterness, for 20 years of sorrow, and the loss of the closest that he had, that he had to him. And then he told the man, You better go next door and tell my brother what has happened. That man left them both, two identical twins, standing weeping. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. This beatitude, whether you realize it at first glance, it is a remedy 
and it is a cure for all bitterness. Whether it's in family, whether it's in fellowship, whether it's in your own heart or in your own mind, it's a remedy and it will counter anything else that is there. Closing, turn to Colossians chapter 3. Verse 12 through 14. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy, beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, bearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. With an admonition like this, we step into an intimate relationship within a congregation. We show that unity depends more on the, the exercise of the member's moral qualities than the structure of the institution. So in other words, I could say it this way. We can play church or we can be church. Do my attitudes reflect an attitude of mercy to my brother? Do I display merciful acts toward others? Let us commit ourselves to strive toward mercy just as God is merciful.